this is Craig Medaglia from the Wally Mathot Show. You are listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the special edition of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been great, and today's going to be even better. We get some great hockey to watch in and around with the Sens have been busy, and we've got the second part of our interview series with the Wally and Mathot Show members. <laughs> That is true, man. That is true. Our guest today is somebody who we've wanted on the show for a very long time. He began his media career in 1994, working with Global TV in Halifax before moving on to working with Global TV in Montreal and then later joining TSN in 1998, becoming Ottawa's chief bureau chief before being let go in 2021. Nowadays, you can find him alongside former Ottawa Senators defenseman Mark Mathot as co-host of the Wally and Mathot Show. Please welcome to the show, joining us from our nation's capital of Ottawa, Ontario, our guest, Brett Wallace. Wally, how's it going? Welcome to the show. I guess I should be used to playing second fiddle to Mark Mathot. So <laughs> it, it's taken me a little bit of time, but I'm working my way into it here. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So Wally, we're super excited to have you on the program. Again, you're somebody we've wanted to have on for a long time. I do got a bit of a confession to make because five years ago when we started this show, Tim and I started our interview wish list of people we'd like to have on the show. We had this conversation with Stuntman Stu last time we had him on. I'm just realizing we did not put you on this list, and I completely apologize for that. Because he I, should have been on there. He should have. I don't know why we didn't put Wally on. Like, I'm disappointed now. This interview is over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to blame Tay. Wally has left the chat. No. <laughs> so, Brad, as I said, like I'm super excited to have you on the show. Now, one thing I do want to ask before we go into this interview, and we've got lots to talk about with today. Back in September, we had good friend of the Wally Mathot Wally Show and Third Light Plug, Ian Mendez, on. And he told a great story about covering a Sens Lightning game in 2006 where you guys were in the hallway and you accidentally hit Ian in the groin with your mic cord as you were swinging around. In response, Ian decided when the series shifted to Tampa, he would get back you by altering your room service card one night to a single yeah. glass of milk to which, according to him, you stormed into the rink the next day demanding to know who it was. In saying that, can you confirm or deny that the story is true? Okay, I don't want to say that Ian Mendez is exaggerating or making anything up. So most of it's true. It's probably 99% true. So um, I didn't accidentally hit him. I did it on purpose. So uh, Mendez and I have known each other for... Uh, God, I don't know, probably almost, I think, since I arrived in Ottawa, which is 98, somewhere in there. And uh, I've always been very good friends growing up, or growing up, our kids growing up together, all that stuff. So uh, we've been in many scrums 
bored out of our minds all the time. Anyway, every once in a while, we just like to play pranks on each other. And so as Martin Havlett was coming out to do an interview, I accidentally on purpose hit him in the groin with the mic and buckled him, dropped him. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Havlett thought it was very entertaining and amusing, by the way. So did I. Mendez, not so much. And I didn't really think it through to think that Mendez was that bothered by it or that he would get me. I, I just I ignored that. So we get into Tampa. And when you're covering the playoffs, it's long days. Sleep is short. Every once in a while, you're at a bar occasionally after the game. So nights are even shorter. And normally, travel days the next day are even, they're like 6 a.m. or whatever. Anyway, so we've gotten into Tampa. I hear a knock at the door. It's like, I think it's 5 a.m. And the knock, and I'm like, that can't be for me. Like, I haven't ordered room service. And back in those days, everybody was paying for room service, so TSM would gladly pay for her. Anyway, so it wasn't a shock to me to hear a knock. But anyway, I'm like, I didn't order anything. So I ignore it. And then there's another knock. And I'm like, that's my door. I, so I storm out to get, look in the people, and there's somebody with a tray. And I'm like, what is going on? Open the door, and it's a glass of milk on this tray. <laughs> Just a single glass of milk. And I'm like, what? And they went, room service. And so, because they're all bubbly at 5 a.m. And I'm like, I did not order room service. And they went like, they repeated my room number. I'm like, yeah, that's my room number, but I didn't order this. So I am annoyed. Like, there's no question about it. I'm annoyed. So I close the door and I try to go back to sleep. Then I find out, I don't, I don't remember going to the rink and demanding it. That doesn't sound like that far-fetched, to be honest. So probably. And then uh, Mendez admitted that it was him. So the room number was 616. And we will just occasionally say it to each other every once in a while. And we know exactly what we're talking about. And the other day, he was supposed to, he and I were doing something together. I don't know if it was an interview together or something. I woke up at 616. I was so angry that I woke up and saw that on the clock. It just gave me PTSD all over again. So <laughs> that's the end of that story. Well, yeah. my favorite part is it, the story somehow got worse because it went from, you would be like, oh, he probably didn't mean to, to. Oh, Wally meant it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I take full responsibility for that. Yeah, because it's funny because I went back and listened to him talking that story. And the thing that really cracks me because like we've been doing the show for about five years now. And it's just such a shock when people swear on the show to, to hear Ian Mendes tell the story. He goes, yeah, Wally comes into the rink and goes, who the fuck did this? <laughs> I was just like, That's... Okay. and when you agreed to this, I'm thinking, Okay, we got to get his side of the story because this is too good to not ask. That doesn't seem far. Like, I can't deny saying that because that seems exactly like me. Right. I just don't have any recollection of it. But I do think that one day Mendez and I should write a book of the stories that we have traveling together. There's all kinds that we should. I, I think we, I don't know, people may find it entertaining, but we've been to, we've traveled the world together where it's been Sweden or it's been all across North America where we end up in. Uh, arenas that we weren't planning on being at that somehow each of our networks put us at and and while we all think that we're all competitors we are at the or we were i guess at the national level the reporters that work in the scrums together all work together because they're at the end of the day they're your colleagues like i when i worked at tsn i worked alone in ottawa i didn't have like i was a me and a camera guy we didn't have i didn't have any staff parties none of that stuff i didn't have anybody to go hang out with and so the people you work with that are your competitors end up becoming your colleagues and your friends yeah. It's a well, weird dynamic that way, I will say. Well, I was going to say, because TSN, like, they have correspondence in, like, Calgary and Winnipeg and obviously in Ottawa. 
it, do you, I don't know if you've talked to those kind of people. Is that kind of the same thing in those markets too, where they're just so isolated in those certain markets? Yeah. Like I never met, I didn't meet Jermaine Franklin until, I don't know, like his 14th year at TSN or something, because we don't travel to those cities because there's already somebody there. So Ryan Rashog and Sarah Lesky and I all worked a lot together because we traveled to do CFL games or NHL or Stanley Cup finals, all that stuff. So that's the way we meet each other. But outside of that, rarely would we ever be end up in the same city as the other person. So I rarely saw Jermaine. I think I've only met him twice in my lifetime. So while we're all together and we talk on the phone, we just, we don't have that same relationship because we're never in the same, same room. Yeah. Well, one guy you didn't mention was John Liu. Did you ever get a chance to meet him in his time at TSN? So John Liu and I probably worked the most together because we would cover the Leafs Sens playoff series a lot together. So uh, when he was in Toronto, we would do, and they would always have both of us at covering each series and same when Ottawa played Montreal. So I probably spent the most time uh, with John Liu. Yeah. Honest thoughts on those bow ties. <laughs> you need your own shtick and he's got it. So good for him. Who did it better? Not, him or Bruce? Just not my thing. <laughs> Definitely J Lou. Cause the confidence in which he wears that at it's yeah. that's, that's him. Like he owns that outfit, that suit, whatever the hell he's got on that day. That's John. Bruce just puts it on because his wife tells him to. <laughs> That's fantastic. So in doing the show, Brent, one of the nice things I get to do with doing interviews like this is I get to learn a lot about the guests is either if they're doing a podcast or writing a blog. Now, for yourself, many people, including Tim, and I would always associate you as covering the Ottawa Center for TSN, but I, I've always been yeah. interested and I actually want to get you to talk a little bit about your time working with global television in Halifax and Montreal, respectively following your graduation from Atlantic Broadcasting Institute in 1994. So do you mind talking a little bit about what was like attending the Institute and later working for global? So the, the thing with the Atlantic broadcasting, so I'm from Fredericton. I used to do basically Rogers cable. It was Fundy cable in, in Fredericton for uh, high school basketball when I was in high school. So I'll make this quick. I opened my own sports clothing store after a year of university and it didn't work out because I didn't end up buying the franchise. So my mom's like, well, there's a broadcasting school. Go do that. That's my best mom impression I have. <laughs> so go to Halifax. I do this 11 month course. The person who owned it at the time was Alex J. Walling. Now, many of you won't know it because you're way too young. Alex used to be the TSN correspondent for the Maritimes and based in Halifax. And he was doing it at the time. There's since been no TSN reporter in the Maritimes. Mm -hmm. But the thing with him is he and I got along extremely well. He was also this, the sports anchor at the local, which it ended up being global television now in Halifax. So I got to go do TSN shoots with him. I'm a, I was in school and I was doing uh, camera work for him for covering a couple of stories he's done and all this. So he helped me immensely. Then he ended up getting me the volunteer job at the local TV station. So for a year after I graduated from the broadcasting school, I worked uh, at Canadian Tire, eight to five, Monday to Friday. And then I did six to 12 every night volunteering at the TV station. Eventually they started paying me for a year or an hour and then two hours. So I turned that into a full-time job, uh, I think within like two, three years. So, and I was doing all kinds, I was doing some news. I got chased to an RCM outpost. I got basically thrown off a ship and the TV station was threatened to be sued because of a story I was doing, which I had, by the way, I had no plans to get into any of this stuff. So I ended Wait, up doing some sports. What yep, ship what? did you get thrown off? <laughs> so they get a call at the TV station, like, and I was the weekend sports or as the weekend news yeah. photojournalist. And they're like, 
the ship is uh, somebody, I don't even know who called, but the ship is uh, all the crews complaining that the ship is listing to one side, that there are all this poor conditions. And so I called the ship somehow and uh, probably on my rotary phone and then said, Hey, I'd like to talk to the captain. And so they, they, and it's a, uh, I forget the country it is, but it was a thick accent. Anyway, they bring me up to the captain's quarters, which is like four floor, floor floors up. I sit down to start recording. And I remember just asking like, one question like your crew is complaining and the captain goes get them off my ship <laughs> so we were ushered very actually i think it was just me ushered very quickly and i'm only like 22 23 out of that building in a heartbeat out of that ship in a heartbeat so physically pushed at the end i was like i'm going in that halifax harbor now any time yeah. now anyway get to uh montreal they open up a brand new tv station global does uh in 1997 so i get hired to be the sports photojournalist there and I was there for 11 months. I think it was after eight months, they canceled the sports programming. So I was, I became a camera guy. And then one night at an Expos game, that's how old I am. Michael Whalen, who was the TSN reporter for Montreal said, Hey, there's an opening in Ottawa. I've called them. Uh, you're to call them tomorrow morning. I was like, what? And so uh, two weeks later, I was at TSN. That's basically how that all went down. So I do got to quickly ask, cause you mentioned Michael Whalen. Does he low key have one of the smoothest voices in Canadian broadcasting? So Michael Whalen like is a fascinating person. He started doing in television as the health reporter for CFCF in Montreal. Now you won't remember this either, but John Lennon had a sit-in in Montreal with Yoko Ono at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel. He did one of the interviews. There's a picture of him doing the interview with uh, John Lennon. Like he's done some fascinating stuff. Anyway, a fantastic man. We so my favorite Michael Whalen story is uh, it's my first year. I'm actually at Global, so uh, we're covering. It's my first year covering the NHL. They're in round two. It's the Habs and Sabres playoff series. I'm like, ah, I get to travel. This is so exciting. We go to a steakhouse for dinner with all the local media guys. For I shouldn't say all the most of them. And I go to order my steak. I was like, I like a well done steak. And Whalen's next to me. He goes, you're not ordering that. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm going to order that because that's what I want to eat. He's like, you're not ordering that. I was like, I'd like it well done. And they're like, no, you're not, Wally. So I said, I'll have chicken and I had a chicken. So yeah, that's, that was always my intro to Michael Whalen. Honestly, Wally, I'm getting flashbacks of very early Wally Mathot show where you mentioned this on the show and both Craig and Beth are like, <laughs> no, though you got roasted so bad. Did you get Hag Hilled yeah. in real life? Oh, I, it's a, I haven't had that one. That's new. Listen, I'm from New Brunswick and my mom liked things cooked very well. She's a very good cook, I think, but I, I just, I happen to, so I'm not a full on well done steak people. Uh, I've changed a little bit. It's like, I've taken the sugar out of my coffee. I now I'm down to like a medium, medium well. Okay. But everybody's is all on the well done. So I just, I just go with it. So after you worked at global, you were later hired by TSN in 1998. Now I didn't actually realize this until doing the research that you became the youngest correspondent ever hired by the station at 24 years old where you covered some huge sport events like the NBA and Stanley Cup yep. Final. As said earlier, your, your tenure at TSN will always be linked to yourself covering the Ottawa Senators through the years. And you just look at some of the big moments through the team's first playoff runs, then going into the golden era and to where they are now. In regards to your tenure at TSN, I'd like to hear from you. How did the opportunity come about to join the network? And overall, how did you enjoy your time covering the Ottawa Senators? So yeah, it was, it was that Expos game and Whalen just said, Hey, there's an opening. Uh, I didn't even have a resume or anything done. And I just remember calling Mike day the next day. I still have, 
the piece of paper I, I wrote down what they were going to pay me when he called me a week later or I, I think it was and said you're you offered the job so uh, Mike Day and I still talk to this day, actually. Um, and when I got laid off, he was one of the, he's no longer at TSN. He's one of the first people to call me. And we talked about doing other stuff together. My time at TSN was fantastic. Like I traveled the world. I, some of the biggest sports stories in history I got to cover. I did the steroid hearings on, on uh, Capitol Hill with Roger Clemens and Brian McNamee. And I talked about, you know, doing NBA finals and NHL Stanley Cups and all that stuff, world championships and world cups. And like, there's so much. Uh, Daytona 500 is like all that stuff you get to do is is kind of neat. And so when it becomes the big stories and you get to be the guy, it's NHL lockouts, all that stuff, like you really start to appreciate. So when I look back now, I'm like, man, what a ride, like 20, 21 years or whatever the hell I did, 23 years of, of being able to cover that stuff was fascinating. So I'm very fortunate and lucky. I would still like to probably be doing it, uh, but that's not my choice. No one. Covering the Ottawa Senators, like I said, like you were there for so many big moments. Is Are there any specific yeah. moments that you have in mind when people ask you about your time covering the Sens that you would be like, I did this, 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 and this. Is there anything that really comes to mind for you? There's so many, but like obviously Alfie scoring the, the winning goal in the Eastern Conference final was a pretty big deal. Covering that Stanley Cup final run was like, I think I worked 61 of 63 days that cup run. So some of it just blends together. You're like... I, and I remember, and Mendez bugs me because he has like this photographic memory. He's like, oh, that was game three in the third. I'm like, I couldn't even tell you what round that was. <laughs> so there's a lot of that stuff. Like just watching the Hamburglar run, I was on that trip at the end when uh, they go into New York and get the win. And then they have to just win that afternoon game in Philadelphia, that kind of stuff. Like Alfie's return game, that one will always be special. There's Alfie's obviously Jersey retirement when that's the first that's ever happened in franchise history. Uh, there's a lot of those things. That's pretty cool. It would have probably been neat for the heritage classic, uh, but I can't put that on the list because of the way the whole weekend went down with the owner, but even the first playoff run, the first playoff win, but there's always these little stories that are like, you see like Clark MacArthur scoring the winning goal, um, just him coming back, like all that little stuff that people don't necessarily see because it doesn't have the same attachment. Like we get to know these people. Uh, we get to chat with them. Like seeing Bobby Ryan's hat trick goal, that, that hat trick goal, that game against Vancouver will always stand out as a sheer highlight. And that's the one game where I almost lost it and broke down. Like I'm interviewing Bobby at the end and I, I'm barely holding it together. So those ones will always stand out for me. Well, definitely not because you see that Bobby Ryan is, I would say, is becoming a somewhat regular on the Wally Mathot show. One specific moment I do want to mention here, and it would probably be, I mean, I imagine 15 years on Tuesday, the Buffalo Sabres Ottawa Senators brawl in Buffalo after Chris <laughs> Neal hit Chris Drury. Were you down in Buffalo for that game? And if you were, like, what, what was that atmosphere like? I wasn't at that game. And uh, it's funny you say that. I'm not trying to plug my show, but if uh, I just interviewed Rob Ray who was in between the benches for that game, Lindy Ruff and Jacques Martin are jarring at each other. He gives a great account of how that all went down. But that game is interesting for a whole lot of reasons. Like some would say if, if Chris Neal were to make that hit today, it's an automatic suspension. And so, but back in the day when that happened and your captain's lying on the ice and he's bleeding and there's no penalty called on it, like people are out for blood, especially when you've got, you know, Coletta and uh, Andrews and, uh, or Andrew Peters and, and, uh, Brad, Brad Mayer, I believe it is. Um, they've got like this lineup of tough people and Ottawa's got the same, like they can just throw guys over the bench to just go at each other. Now, 
The one thing is, if you go back and watch that, after that hit, Brian Murray made the biggest mistake I think he's made coaching ever, and that was he put out the top line of, it ended up being Mike Comrie, Heatley, and Alfie, and they're both to get handled, right? Like, Volchenkov and Phillips are the defensemen. I, he should never have done that. He should have just put out Chris Neal and all those guys just to handle it. But that one, like, what a gong show that was. It's fascinating. Almost as fascinating as the Philadelphia brawl, which will always stand out for me. That one was a bigger deal only because that one I'm on my honeymoon. And at the time it's 2004. So we don't have Wi-Fi in everybody's room. And my wife would only let me go. So she also writes for Canadian press and covers the Sens. She wouldn't let me go. And I knew this game was coming and I wanted to see it and she wouldn't let me check. And so if you spent like $95, you could rent for three minutes, this kiosk at the front desk. And I remember reading about it the next day and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like I was supposed to have been at that game. That would have been the one to go to for sure. Well, definitely when talking about that game, the one thing that really comes to mind outside the brawl itself was the fact that Ray Emery came out of the crease. He dropped Marty B. Ron and then he fought Andrew Peters. And I can only imagine what that would have must have been like in the rink. I do got to ask cool. about Ray Emery though, because of all the people that you guys have interviewed on the show, is he the one guy that you're just thinking, man, I wish he was still around. Sorry. Yeah. And it's so tough. Like this is going to obviously sound morbid, but it's tough when you have lost Brian Murray and Roger Nielsen and Ray Emery and John Muckley. Like those guys are so pivotal in how this whole franchise was formed. We don't get a chance to talk to them anymore. Ray Emery would be obviously huge. He was so colorful and he was always very good to Ian and I, not so much to the local media as much, but the national guys he was okay with. Uh, we got along really well. I had no issues with Ray. Was he crusty? Sure. There's been lots of guys who were like that, but like you could tell deep down, good guy, just a little, I don't know if misunderstood is the word, but he certainly had some issues to deal with. Uh, but I, I really, really liked Ray Emmer. Of any of the remaining guys kind of from that era of the senders, who would you want to interview the most then that's still kind of pivotal given that like you're oh, there's a lot and i've asked for them all dominic hashik is a huge one for me he remains at the top of my list marion hosa martin havlat if you know the names chances are i've reached out to them clark MacArthur, dion finuff all of them i've tried or i'm trying to get them on the show at some point so i did just line up uh, radic bonk will join me i believe it's next week He's an interesting one because he was always, we always went to Radic about Marion Hosa and Hosa was always tearing it up and Radic always looked at, and it would always seem to be Ian and I, and I would go to Radic. I'm like, I got to ask you about Marion Hosa. He goes, what am I as fucking agent? So, um, and it always made me laugh because Radic is, he's a great sense of humor. You just have to understand him a little bit, but Radic should be a good one. Oh, he there's lots of, there's lots of guys though, right? Like there's so many stories and that's the thing like people, we, we did an interview with Nick Holden, not that long ago. And people are like, Nick, like he's, you know, a bottom three defenseman or whatever he is. And so they don't, he doesn't get the name recognition. People watched that interview and loved it. And so you start to understand people more as you get a chance to sit down with these long interviews and really get to understand who these people are. That's the best part about, your show, my shows, interviews that ended up being not five minutes and not everything cut out of them. You can understand more what these people are like. So you actually feel like you start to know them, which is what we get to do or I got to do inside that locker room every day was to get a chance to talk to them, but you would never see that stuff. So that's what we're trying to show people. It's almost like a, a spoken player's tribune. Yeah. Yeah. Like 
I've never had a guest on where I've told them what we're talking about or anything was off limits. Now there's some stuff I'm just not like we had Matt Duchesne on. I wasn't going to talk about the Uber because I'm done with it. I just, I have no desire to keep rehashing it. I don't think it's always fair. People need to be able to move on from stuff. And so I remember I got an email or a tweet, like, why didn't you ask about it? Well, because no one cares anymore. Like let's, let's just start to move on a little, but you get to really get a sense of, of what they're like. And people have never been upset with us, which is one of the reasons why the show has been fairly all right. Is that those players know that we're not coming after them for any kind of sensationalized stuff. We just want to actually tell some stories. Well, especially because they probably want to just let the past be the past, right? It would be like if yeah. you had Eric Carlson or Mike Hoffman on and you asked him about that whole yeah. situation that ended both of their right. tenures in Ottawa. Yeah. So when talking about your tenure covering the Sens, one of my personal favorite on-air moments occurred in October of 2018 when you were doing a Sens trivia quiz and Brady DeChuck reacted to Max Lachois' <laughs> answer to the question. It's the first person he called when yeah. he learned he made the team. I bring it up because at the time, Fan reception to drafting Brady was pretty mixed with people going, oh, this is a yep. great pick, to people going, why did we take this guy? We should take it, Philip Sedina. He was sitting right there. But I maintain to this day, that was the single moment that made him a fan favorite in Ottawa, and especially with the Sens fan base, because anybody who ever had criticism became a fan right then, right there. And it just carried on to what he has now built into the career he's had in Ottawa. At the moment, did you have any idea that that reaction would have blown up the way it did? So this whole interview is interesting for me. And I had no idea going in what was about to transpire. One, as I just, I was like, let's just try to do something different. There's three rookies on the team. Let's have some fun. I went out and I think I went to the dollar store. I bought these whiteboards and I still actually have them. And I, I was like, what am I going to do? I need to come up with some stupid questions, whatever. I Like this was outside the realm for the square boring stale brent wallace that he was so i'm trying to come up with some questions and i remember like i remember the re i remember the reaction but at the time you're just trying to think what's next so whenever we do interviews a lot of times we we miss some things only because we're trying to make sure we know what's coming next there's so much else going on that we need to try and keep it to a certain timeline all that stuff i didn't really know i saw the reaction but it didn't really clue into me at the time of that's really like we're so much bigger in the social media now than we were even back in that in that day. And then when I saw it on TSN and watched it, I was like, oh, this like people are going to enjoy this one. And so that react and I wish I had it picked up more on it. I probably would have gone back to Brady about some other stuff about it. But yeah, that one was interesting that I that was my first viral, I think, interview that I've ever done. Well, it's interesting you've been talking about Brady because I think in the past four years, you've really seen that a lot of criticism towards the NHL is always about how player just don't seem to have a lot of personality or if they do, the personality yeah. doesn't come out and Brady yeah. comes along and he's just like, this is just the way I am, you know, judging from yeah. that moment to when he was it is. a fan in Calgary to even, you know, even the Josh and Drake stuff in that, in that interview we did a few months ago, it was great. And I'm just like, man, like you can criticize Pierre Dorian all you want, but I think that draft pick right there and just, every moment he's given the fans is just like it was worth it i can't explain brady enough of how genuine he is as a person now there's always there's examples you guys get to see but so one of the things is obviously we're not allowed to ask for autographs it doesn't mean it doesn't happen but i wanted it so and i my kids uh, my son needed a new sense jersey but 
I was always very particular of getting him one uh, with a name on it. One, because players never stay. But two, is I want that person to be an actual good person, not just any old jersey. So I got him Brady Kachuk, but I wanted to get it signed for him for a Christmas present. And I told him a few days, I think it's a couple of weeks beforehand. I was like, Brady, I've got this jersey. Listen, I, I know I'm not supposed to ask. Do you think you could just sign on the way? I was like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. A couple of games goes by and whether they lose or whatever, you don't want to ask him when he's losing. So I would keep bringing it, but whatever, it just didn't work. It's December 23rd and it's the last game before the break. And I'm like, oh. and I remember I brought it up to him earlier in the day. He's like, yeah, don't worry. After the game, it's fine. Guys clear out pretty quick. I think I'm now 45 minutes after the game. I'm like that. Everybody's empty. Like the floors have been mopped. Everybody's going home. I'm like, I haven't seen him leave. And I'm asking people, have you seen him? They're like, I don't know if he's just still here. Finally, he pops out the door. He's like, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. I apologize. Where is it? Let's sign it right now. And he was extremely good about it. And the only reason I tell that story is because that's what Brady's like, that he genuinely cares about people. Always very good to deal with. Like, it's not an act. Whatever you see from Brady is exactly what there is. And it goes to his whole family. Keith Kachuk was one of the first people that aside from the TSN family reached out to me just to say, I'm sorry to see you go. Uh, you were always very good to our family. So it's a family thing with that group. And that's why I appreciate all they did. Cause you can see it from Keith and from Chantel uh, where they end up, the boys end up getting their manners for sure. Now you made a comment there just a second ago about how it's kind of a no, no for the media members to ask for autographs. And I, this is something yeah. that I've heard so much about over the years is that, it's kind of an unspoken sort of rule that you don't ask the players. Is that more for professional reasons or just yeah. for they're trying not to bridge the two? It's completely professional reasons, right? Like if I'm one is players don't want to keep getting asked by some media guy. So here's this, this is my favorite story when it comes to autographs. It's a playoff series with Pittsburgh. I don't know if it's 07 or 08. I think they went back to back. Forgive me for years. As I, I, I told you did. a long yeah, time I think ago. 07, 08, they went back to back. I think it's the first one in the sense where like, we're going to let in bloggers and people in to cover the team. And we're going to see how this goes. I'm like, okay. So uh, they've now basically let fans in to cover the team. We're in with Sidney Crosby post game. It's a loss. You get whatever it is, three minutes with Sidney Crosby. We're all jammed around at the very end. This blogger guy goes, Hey Sid, do you have like a glove or a puck or something I can have? And I was like, what just happened? So the PR person for the pens is like, you out now. And Ottawa didn't really do much about this. Like, oh, yeah, you can't ask for autographs. He's like asking for gear in the middle of a scrum, basically. So the unwritten rule is you just don't do it because you just players just don't want to be inundated. And then there's the professionalism of trying to remain impartial while you're, hey, can you sign my autograph? Like steering way off topic. But at those uh, steroid hearings on, on Capitol Hill was one of the strangest coolest things i've ever seen i guess i'm not even sure that's the word so each every every member on the committee got five minutes to ask questions and it became a very partisan thing where the republicans were very they were okay with the steroid thing and they were just like yeah roger clemens we love you you're a great player all the best and then the D democrats would be like tearing a strip off them were like i can't believe this is the worst thing you've ever done you ruined baseball then they would take a recess well, those same people that were just ripping on them would bring out like baseballs and stuff. Like, hey, Roger, can you sign this for me? And I'm like, like, what is going on? So 
that's always the biggest autograph one I've always I'll remember that one for a long time but I didn't really start to ask for autographs till the very end and I could see like I'm like I don't know that Yarmir Yager the picture right here is going to be um playing anymore and he was always one of my favorites and the day he signed that he's like hey I'm going to work out and he taps me on the I won't call them abs and says are you coming you look like you could use a little workout and I was like that's not very nice anyway so I said I've got this picture from the world championships would you sign it he's like I'll only sign it if you have a copy for me I'm like oddly enough I have two uh so he took the copy with him anyway but very few I don't have a lot of that stuff uh, I was never a real big starstruck kind of guy but I like there's a there's a few like Dominic Hashik stick was always a big one for me because he and I got along extremely well I just wanted I guess stuff from people that I had a personal connection to I don't need anything of value that becomes from somebody that I have no connection or don't know anything about. One thing I do want to bring up, and it's just something that just popped in my mind because to start off our fifth season of podcasting, we had the Andy Sutton urine expert as our cover athlete for the episode. And I know this has been something that since Twitter has really taken a run with it, everyone seems to love it. I have to ask, were you in that scrum or did you know oh my God. In that scrum? The, I got to know. So this story... Okay, so this, all right, so this is a sore spot. This is the worst moment of my career that I could think of. Other and we just needled it? <laughs> yeah. So I can't believe Mendez didn't tell you this story. So, again, we're in Pittsburgh, post-game, obviously, Andy had put, I forget who he was, he hit somebody through the penalty box, Leopold. the door opened. Right. So it is a pittsburgh beat writer and i still don't remember exactly who he is to this day because i i'm not even sure he was a beat writer i think he just ended up showing up because in the playoffs there's a lot more media around and he didn't understand why there was no penalty right so we're all there but all of a sudden i just your, your cameraman's always over your shoulder i just see like he's just backing away and i'm like like what's going on so now he's at the back of the room because the camera won't work the tape is not recording and I'm just listening to Andy Sutton go, so you're an expert. And I just feel beads of sweat, my palms. Like, I'm like, what? Like, how am I going to, I'm going to be, how do I cover from this? So no camera doesn't, we don't have it. And I'm like, I, I'm just there. Like, I, I now having an out of body experience watching all of this transpire. And I believe at the end of the day, Mendez gave us the video to use I'm still to this day pissed off about that entire scrum and how that played out. And I have no tape of it. Wow. Well, but thanks for bringing that up again. I know. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, no. Well, one of the, one of the, I guess one of the reasons I brought this up is because there was a lot of chatter on social media around, I think it was the reporter in Edmonton with Leon Dreisaitl. And this is one oh, of the, yeah. this was oh, one yeah. of the big moments that came out of that. But I think that why one of the reasons I have to also bring this up is because Andy Sutton was on spit and chicklets and they never asked him about it. They asked about his time in Atlanta playing like Ottawa was like a few minutes, but they never mentioned that. And yeah. everybody in the comments is like, why do you not bring up or you're an expert? That's like the single defining moment of his tenure in the NHL right there. You know what? Mendes and I actually, a lot of this is that we should just have Mendes on the two of us. Uh, Mendes and I talked a lot about actually making t-shirts the next day, are you an expert in selling them in our trunk? And I'm like, we're just idiots. How are we going to get this done? We would have so, bought five. I'm I, not going to lie. Would, yeah. So I'm still mad that I probably could have retired after that. Is the whole Jim Matheson, Leon Dreisaitl thing bothers me 
if I can still call myself a journalist, there's no chance I would ever approach it this way. I like, and, and we can say like, Jim's been around for a long time. I've never had an issue with them. I've only known them to be respected, all that stuff. But in that instance, he is completely offside to me. So if you go back and watch the entire thing, there's like two minutes before they get to Jim where Leon is asked basically the same questions and he answers them respectfully gives the answers are fine to me and then when he gets to Jim you can see I almost feel like you can see Leon Dreisaitl's face change like just his mood it's in the body so, yeah. right so clearly something had transpired where he wrote something or whatever they didn't like and so he answered the first question and he didn't get the answer he or he asked the first question and Jim didn't get the answer he wanted okay that's fine you can tell if they one word answer you there's no point going back like i'm i'm just not going back so he wanted to follow it up i know what he's trying to get at i but leon's not giving you that answer so could leon have not said you know everything anyway or whatever it was basically i'm paraphrasing sure he could have but he wanted to almost make a point and so if i'm gonna do that to a player and i'll use jason spezza because he was one of my my perfect interviews. Anytime I had an issue, it could be anybody for that matter. I would go to them before the interview and be like, listen, I got to ask you about whatever, Matt Duchesne, I've got to ask you about the Uber incident. You can either answer it or not. I still need to ask the question. And so he's like, Brent, I'm, I'm not going to answer. I'm like, okay, but just know He's like, that's fine. If you can allow them that moment to understand what's coming, then you'll get an answer one way or another, or they'll just say, I'm not, but you give them the respect that it's coming. I understand in today's world with all the zooms and everything that transpires, you can't get that one-on-one -on -one time because the room isn't open or whatever, but you can't follow that up with why are you pissy? Cause nobody wins. The only person on camera is Leon Dreisaitl. So now you're putting the entire target on him to answer it. It's not fair to do it that way. You could have had a private conversation at any point afterwards to settle it. I, the whole thing is wrong at, at the end of the day. I just, I, for the life of me, and we have enough issues with the media and how they're portrayed now, you don't need to do it this way. Well, I also think it's a kind of a double-edged sword because if Leon Dreisaitl had totally gone off on him, it'd be like, you know what? I'm not answering this question. You can you can ask me all you want, but I, I'm answering but, your question, whether you like it or not. But the problem is he he has no recourse. Like yeah. Jim, Jim's question or whatever is never going to be aired. It's uh, uh, up until he, why are you so pissy? But normally you never hear the question. You only hear the answer and you only see him. So if, if dry settle goes off and has some long winded diatribe about how he doesn't like Matheson or whatever, that's the only thing that gets played. And so he's in a no win situation. I it's totally not fair. And it, we want as media members for players to be open and be more like Brady Kachuk. Well, do you think that helps? No. So there needs to be a time and place when you go to do that stuff. I just for the life of me, never would have ever uh, asked that kind of question. Is it a situation where it's more of a read the room kind of a thing where you just like, okay, yeah. try and like word the question differently, or you'll maybe not ask the question, but you'll try and like veer it off in a different direction. You don't even need like, He's not answering your question. I don't know how much more you need to yeah. try to get. So now you're just trying to get a reaction for yourself. This isn't journalism anymore. This is just, I just want a reaction. I'm just now going to try and embarrass you. That's what I took from it. And I just think it's completely wrong. In a room that's, you have time that you could sit inside and go like, Leon, like, you okay today? 
you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to get an answer. And he was like, listen, this is what's upsetting me, but you don't get that opportunity now. So now you got to pick your spots. Mm -hmm. You think social media makes this worse where oh. you, not only do you have the usual, you can't really hear what the reporter asked and you just see the player. Someone can cut and paste as they wish the video. Like I remember Tim and Sid put up the video on their Twitter and they cut it about halfway through the answer. It just made it look way worse. That's typical. We've seen that ever since you could edit tape of yeah. somehow changing. So I've never in my life ever tried to change an answer to make it look like they're saying something different, but you can do that. And yeah, social media makes, but social media just makes everything worse because now everybody can choose what they want it to say and how they want it to say, or what the meaning is behind it. Like all the, the misinformation that we're seeing in a daily basis, you can do that at any time. That really bothered me. And it's, and it's bothered me down the stretch because now everybody just wants clicks. Everybody like we all like, I, and TSN's the same way. They're like, we need you to do this. Like the views on your page today are really high because of this. And I'm like, like, is this what we're trying? This is where we're at. I really don't like it. So maybe it's time for me to get out of it. I don't know. But that kind of stuff, I'm not doing it for clicks. So I'm just going to veer off here for a moment here, Wally, and talk about a certain moment. Now, we were talking about this before we hit record, and the video was pinned on your Twitter account. Is that you were in Slovakia doing, I believe there's a world championship game or some sort of an international tournament. And some guy came up to you and gave you a hard time in his native language, to which you just kind of laughed going like, well, that was awkward. Can you explain to us and our listeners what exactly happened in that moment? I just love how you said some guy. Some guy was about six foot seven and about 300 pounds. But anyway, we'll get to that in a sec. So I'll give you the long-winded answer since I'm not under time constraint that I'm aware of. Is uh, oh, we good, just man. finished Dreger, Dreger Cafe just wrapped up. So whenever you're at the World Championships where there's two camera guys and they need to do a whole bunch of work. So we're all together. And one moment you got to do this, the next minute you got to do it. Anyway, so they just wrapped up an interview with uh, Jack and Quinn Hughes and their dad with Dregger cafe. And so I was there helping set up and now they're taking this down and they're going to, and I was like, I need to shoot a stand up for my piece. Can you guys just, and they're like, yeah. So they just flip around. So in the background are two camera guys and dregs. Meanwhile, I'm on the street, which is normal. And I'm just, and I can see this shadow coming towards me and it's getting very dark. And all of a sudden this ginormous man is next to me and he is like, he, I don't know if we're touching, but it, it felt like it. And he's just starting to yell. He's, he's yelling at me from what I can tell in a very aggressive manner. And I think he wants to kill me. I think literally my life may end. Meanwhile, everybody else hasn't moved. And they're like wrapping some cables on their phone, whatever. Nobody pays any attention that I might be taking my last breath here. So I just, I'm standing there. I'm like, like, what's about anyway? eventually just walks away just as quick as he showed up he just walked away so a couple of days go by and i was like hey thanks guys for all the help they're like no no we knew you're okay so a couple of days go by and i'm like i think i'm gonna post this online but i want to make sure that if i post this there's nothing in there there's not a lot of foul language nothing that's going to probably get me fired so i go to the rink and i there's i'm always in the zamboni tunnel so i see one of the crew and i'm like listen can you tell me what this says? Now, meanwhile, there's a game going on. I think Canada's playing at this moment and he can't really hear. So he goes into an office and he's got it up to his phone. He's like, I don't know what he says, but it's not Slovakian. And I'm like, oh, he's like, I, it's a, it's Russian. And I'm like, okay. So I see another guy. 
who I know is from Russia. And he's like, all right, let me listen. And again, it's, he can't really hear it. He's like, it's a really weird dialect. It's not really common. I said, is there any swearing? It's all I want to know. He's like, no, no, something about girlfriend. And I'm like, okay, no big deal. So uh, I post it and a friend of a follower who also knows Russian goes, Brent, do you know what he said? And I'm like, no. He's like, what is your name? I want you my girl. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I like of all the things, I didn't see that this was coming, that he was asking me basically on a date. I didn't know that. And so, I, which makes it all the much better because he's yelling at me. Um, so I basically, yeah. So if I go back to Slovakia, I know I've got someone to escort me around the city because uh, he seemed very enthralled. I did see him like two days later walking around. I'm like, I am definitely going the other way. But that's that's what he said to me. How do you know that yeah. he was trying to pick you up? What do you view walked his direction? Well, I was too busy. I, I oh, had to okay. get my work done. So yeah, <laughs> no, unfortunately I couldn't. Yeah. I like, that's a, of all the things I've done, the thing that's been probably viewed the most, that one is an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and it's funny to say like, that's how my time in Slovakia was remembered. I'm like, damn it. We went to castles and we got to do all kinds of stuff. Nope. It's this guy yelling at me. Jamie McClellan, when he was on, he was talking about uh, Sluvica as this very heavy Sluvica, Sluvica uh, local Slovak or Czech alcohol that's sort of like uh, not oh. clear. Did you guys? Pe- peach schnapps. Peach schnapps, yeah. But like way more alcoholic. Did you guys end up trying it? I bl- I, I'm pretty sure I blacked out. Um, <laughs> so the owner of our hotel, it was a family run uh, hotel. He's an extremely nice man. And every night he's like coming to our bar and he kept saying like, well, they make peach schnapps in the family. They've been doing it for like a hundred years, basically moonshine. So one of the final nights we're all together, like, yep, this is the night. So we started having some, it's very, very good. But you know, when you are drinking, you don't really know how much you've had. Like one of my first times ever drinking a Long Island iced tea. And I remember I was like, this are fine. Whatever Two, I went to stand up at one point. I was like, I need to sit back down. That was the exact same thing. I'm like, I got up and was like, Oh, there's not a lot of schnapps left. And now I know why. So that night, I don't really remember getting to my room. I don't remember anything except waking up the next day, which actually I didn't remember even having that much of a hangover. But that stuff is like very good. Let's just put it that way. Well, I know one of the delivery drivers, I work at a private school in Vancouver Island, and one of our delivery drivers is from the Czech Republic. And so one time I just asked him straight up, I said, hey, man, have you ever heard of Sliovica? And he's like six foot eight or where the hell, and he bursts out laughing. He goes, how do you know about Sliovica? And I was like, well, it's you know, so I good. interviewed Jamie McLennan and he, you know, obviously played with like Pavel Demetra and a lot of guys who were from those kind of countries. And it's very anyway. Yeah, I've, I've done two trips to Slovakia. It doesn't get the recognition like Prague and all that stuff does. Beautiful, beautiful country. Anyway, uh, I would go back in a heartbeat. Do you have a favorite city that you traveled in in Europe doing those tournaments? Good question. Mm, maybe Vienna. So when you do the, that's the best part about the world championships. They're always in some great city for the most part. And Canada would always in in a way to entice players always have training camps in even better cities. So we've done Paris and Prague and Vienna, and there's been a few others along the way. And you're like, this is why they get the play. They give them a week in Vienna. So Vienna was stunning. The one I'll always remember the most though, we did the world championship, uh, world junior championships in 2013. It was in Ufa, Russia, which 
was like 13 hour i forget what it was it's like way east of moscow and it's like old school russia and that one was always fascinating to me of just it's basically you can see how the cold war was going back then like not a lot has changed that one was fascinating just in the whole different world kind of thing uh minsk uh belarus was a beautiful city just that overall charm we've done like sweden and a few other places i but yeah to answer your question i'd probably take vienna i'd like to take my wife and i was supposed to go back the next year or the year after when they canceled the worlds uh and we were going to do another place just outside Vienna, the and I forget the name of it now, but that's like one of the tourist destinations on the water. I was like, this is going to be stunning, and it didn't happen. Well, I know even for myself, being a viewer of the World Championships when they're actually on, when you see them playing in Europe and you see the big yeah. crowds and you see everything over, covering those events, is it kind of like here in Canada where the world, when the World Juniors come, where it's just everybody's all in? No, it's better. Really? Um, yeah, like I would tell anybody to go to a world championship because it's a it's it's a ball. Like if do you listen to Mark Mathot and I because he's done two of them, maybe three, he'll tell you how great in the time it is because A, they're always in great cities, B, as I said, but they're always in, in May where this the weather's so much nicer, right? The world juniors is always in the middle of winter. So you're always inside, but there's always parties going on outside. People are just hammered from the time they wake up in the morning till they go to bed. There's been a lot of that stuff. So in the arena, it's a constant party, a hum, all kinds of dancing going on. Like it's just, it's wild. It's a totally different vibe than covering anything in North America. So unfortunately, we do got to talk about something serious here. Now, in early 2021, you, along with several others, were let go by TSN and the Bell layoffs. Now, we don't have to go into that, but I do feel it's appropriate to bring up, given that out of it, you began a new venture into the world of podcasting with the Wally and Mathot show alongside former Sense defenseman Mark Mathot. Wally Mathot, I got to say, has been such a breath of fresh air, especially here in Canada, where the hockey media is so leaves heavy. And here on the West Coast, it's always about either the Oilers or the Canucks. So it's yeah. so refreshing to have a show that is for the Sense fans. A market that's been very looked overlooked over the years, and especially some of the interviews with like Eric Carlson and Chris Neal. And speaking of the show, I actually want to ask about your co-host, Mark Bethot. And I made a comment on Twitter about how truly amazing it is how in just in less than a year, Meth went from a guy who was retired from the NHL to become a successful podcaster. And now he's an on-air talent for TSN. I got to ask, given all the years you've worked in the media, are you surprised that Meth has taken off like he has in the media? And was he somebody, when you covered the team, that you thought, hey, this guy should get into the media? Yeah, not surprised, because back when I was doing it, we at TSN had gone to Meth and said, hey, we'd like you to work on our panel during the playoffs or whatever. And he'd always turn it down because he didn't want to talk about players while he was currently playing, which is a lot of way guys are. Um, but we knew, we could tell right away, I keep saying we, like I can't stop saying it for the when I, spend so much time at TSM, but like they knew right away that he was, he's articulate. He's never cliche. I think it was day four after I got let go. It might somewhere around that where I, my wife goes, why don't you call meth? And so I, I called him and said, Hey, like, this is what I'm thinking. And he's like, yeah, like, let's do this. So like, I will sit down. I, I give him a rundown, but he doesn't, oh, he's a hockey player. He doesn't always read the rundown, but we'll sit down and start talking never has an issue he's like i don't know anything about that he always has an answer it's it's off the cuff you get the genuine markman thought which is really tough to do right out of the hop 
and he's been able to do it on TV, which is even harder because of everything that's going on behind the camera that you don't see people talking in your ear that you don't know about that stuff. He's, he's extremely good at it. Like I, I think if he keeps at it, he has a chance to become one of the best analysts in the country. I, I really do. And that's not just to, for me to say, because we're partners on a show. I just think he's that good. Well, even watching the first couple of episodes of Wally Mathot, like I was just surprised for, because a lot of ex-NHLers have gone into the media and it's never really always panned out with the exceptions of say like a Jamie McLennan surprising for me how meth just took to it like a fish out of water really yeah yeah and he's like he's extremely smart and talented and articulate he doesn't get caught up too much in his own mark method necessarily like he he just genuinely he cares about people like a lot of hockey players are just on different levels right like I can't relate to people that have made $35 million in their career because their their life is just different, which is why media and players necessarily aren't always friends. It was just they're just not in the same world. So, but for him and I, there's a we're able to finally meet in the middle, if you will. Um, I'll go over to his house and hang out with his kids and we'll play with the dogs and just all that stuff. I remember hanging, he couldn't hang a picture. And I was like, I because the background I went over to help fix, it's his, it's his movie theater, and he had pictures of like jaws and stuff up, and I'm like, well, we got to put something hockey related. So I had to move some pictures and I'm like, do you have a hammer? Is there anything here I could actually do with this? So he basically let me hang some stuff in the background, which is how we formed that background. But he's fairly normal when it comes to hockey players. What was like kind of a side question? I'm not asking you to throw anybody to the bus. But was there one player that you covered that you're like, this guy's he's odd, man. He's this guy's a weirdo. Oh. Yeah, there's been a few. Uh, I'm trying to think like of players I didn't like interviewing. There was always a couple, but the sense for the most part have had pretty good. I didn't like Scott Gomez. Now I don't have anything against Does Scott he really Gomez. Count as a senator, he wore the logo. That's all That's they had true. to make a jersey with his name. So like I just remember him saying, you know, the head and the hands they never go away. It's just the feet. So as long as you got your head and your hands, you can play. I'm like, but you can't skate. So I don't know how this is going to play out. But anyway, he's like he was a different guy there's been a few tom barrasso another one of those guys i tried to get to know him but he wasn't around long enough he had some run-ins with the media earlier in his career i think which is what made him turn kind of negatively towards the media he was the only guy that's ever given our camera the finger at the time let's see there's but ottawa's had some pretty good guys for the most part eric lindros and i did not get along because he always thought i was just trying to talk to him about his concussions which i was one time but he never seemed to let it go ty domi was always like covering the leafs in the early 2000s was absolutely miserable they were the biggest assholes there was so and it's all started from like matt sundin and, and gary roberts and like all those old guys really made life difficult to be a media member but now they're completely different and one of my best friends is the pr guy that works for the leafs and Kyle Dubas follows me on Twitter. Like there's just a weird dynamic of how this all my kid now has an Austin Matthews Jersey. Like I, and James Reimer and I have become very good friends. It's it, very odd, but the Leafs were the biggest, the most difficult team there was to cover. They just thought they were so entitled that group that I just, I hated it with a passion. Do you, do you think it also had the fact that the fact that you were the Ottawa guy that covered the Senators? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like, but, but they were always difficult just to deal with their own guys and rightfully so like there's been some really tough media guys go at the Leafs. I remember Dion Phaneuf being asked about 
I think it was Lance Brown. Like, do you accept losing or something that like he, he's just, and there was the, uh, was it Travis green? No. Oh, the Phil Kessel stuff. Right. And they're all going, right. like, are you really difficult to coach? Okay. How are you supposed to answer that? Yes, I am. So they had some tough, like the media in Toronto felt entitled that they could ask whatever they wanted. And, and that just made everything worse. Right? Well, it's, well, it's tough even watching those because it's like, okay, well, especially in the media market like Toronto, where yeah. you say one wrong thing, then every media, all the TSN, everything. I can yeah. only imagine the only market would be tougher is in Montreal, because if you say something or you're disagreeing, you're not an asshole in one language, you're an asshole in two languages. Yeah. Montreal is a totally different dynamic of covering the hockey team. If you don't speak French, it makes it tougher for the players to relate to the media and then the media to try and tell your story out to the French public, obviously. It was a very weird year to cover that team. I remember in 97, 98. Like Toronto is just a different world. So I will say this about, because everybody gets wound up with how much Toronto coverage there is, but a third of Canada lives in the Toronto market, right? Like you can't, and, and all the businesses and all that Southern Ontario stuff, like that's where all the money is. So as much as I don't like it, especially being in Ontario, and I fought this for years at TSN, um, and I'll tell you that story in a sec, is that you can't change when everybody wants to watch the Leafs and you see the numbers. That's what you're going to try and sell. Like if, if your advertisers are basically saying, we want Leafs coverage, you're going to show the Leafs every time. So that's just like, eventually you get around it once you understand how that all plays out. But I remember the year, was it 04-ish? It's Patrick Laleem in goal, and I think it's Curtis Joseph is the Leafs goaltender. So whatever, and it might have been 02. Yeah, I think it was um, 02 because I think Cujo was with Detroit the next season. So, and I threw the disclaimer at the very beginning of the show. I don't know any years. So I remember, it go, so we'd always do a preview going in, like who's better forward, defense, and goaltending. And Patrick Laleem had better numbers. But it could have been like, a 297 to a 287 goals against average. You were marginal. But I, so I said in my script, Patrick Aleem's got better numbers than Curtis Joseph. And they, TSM wouldn't let me do it. They wouldn't let me air it. And I'm like, what? They're like, well, they're only marginally better. I'm like, so they're better. Well, yeah, but they're not. I'm like, but they're better. So I had to change it. And I was like, this is just stupid. So, I gave up at that point. I was like, I'm just not even going to try anymore. That was the one where I was like, like, you can't just, you can still cover the Leafs. You can't all be Leafs fans doing it. Like I don't. And as I said, this, I never got paid if the Leafs, or if the Sens won or lost, I wasn't getting a ring, none of that stuff. So I just told the stories one way or another. I, I didn't care. I shouldn't say I didn't care if they won. My life was a whole lot easier, but if they lost, I have more airtime on TSN because they always want to know what's happening with the guys who are losing as opposed to the ones who are winning, right? It's the same as news. If it's a bad story, it'll always lead the show. So as long as the Sens were a dumpster fire, I was busier than I ever was, um, which has been the last few years. So I, I like, I never got in, into that Sens fandom stuff. I just wanted to cover the story. So that was always a battle I used to have with some producers at TSN. Well, I know, and I said this earlier, like even living on the West Coast with just how heavy with the market is with the Leafs. And I love, yeah. one thing I like living on the West Coast is that I remember when Don Taylor worked for Sportsnet, he used to just openly take pot shots at the Leafs all the time. And it was like, I love that. I know he's not a Leafs fan. He's not like a Canucks fan, but it's just like, oh, it's so good to have somebody that's not a Leafs fan just be like, yeah, I don't know why we're dedicating so much time to them. Like, 
Yeah. So I will say, because people like people go at McLennan and anybody that lives in Toronto as being a Leaf fan, like Gordon Miller doesn't give a shit. He's not he's not a Leafs fan. So the most of the on-air guys could care less, or on-air people, I should say, like could care less if the Leafs win or lose. It's the usual people behind the scenes that are a little more excited if the Leafs win or lose. But I like the one thing that does bug me is when they start labeling all the people that are on air as Leaf fans because they live in Toronto. It's just not true. Well, well do you the think GTA is like- massive and it's full of transplants too, right? Like I used to right. live in the GTA. Like, Kevin BX is not a Leaf fan. And you guys know that because you're in the West Coast and he played for Vancouver. But as soon as you start to become on air and you live in Toronto, they all just label you Leafs fans. Like the only one that's allowed, and I have no issues with them doing it, is Jeff O'Neill can tell me all day long he loves the Leafs. (laughs) He played for the Leafs. Like, why would I be upset about this? This so people that get wound up about this make no sense to me. He played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's from Toronto. Like He's everything that emboldens being a Toronto Maple Leaf. Like, so like, just give it a rest. Yeah. It'd be like getting mad at Luongo for liking Vancouver. Right. Case in point. It's hilarious because you mentioned Jeff O'Neill and I was going to say that too, but I do want to quickly ask about O'Dog just because again, when you're talking about all the Leafs players being difficult, was Jeff O'Neill one of those guys or was he pretty good to deal with? No, he was difficult because he wouldn't talk on game days. And I remember asking him, walk out the door, and I was like, hey, Jeff, do you have a sec? I think he was in Carolina at the time. He's like, he disputes this to this day. I still think I'm right. I think he said, oh, dog, doesn't talk on game days. <laughs> now, he says, I've never spoken in the third person. <laughs> in my head, that's what I remember. So that's maybe some Ricky Henderson shit right there, man. <laughs> yes. And so he still disputes it. I'm like, I'm okay, I guess. I understand. But I that's what I remember. So he did not want to speak game days so there was a lot of that stuff i will say he's one of my favorite people now like we've gotten along extremely well uh we've sat in some press boxes covering some stanley cup finals together and he's he's as he's as messed up and as normal as a hockey player can be where i like he's got great stories but he's very normal so here's my example one day they called me in to cover washington's playing in the playoffs i forget who they're playing doesn't matter and he's the panelist and so we're, I'm, ho- I'm, I'm James Duffy for the day. This is a big deal for me. So studio six and Jeff is late. And we're like, Oh dog, like, where are you? You're about to be on in five minutes. He's like, oh. so he comes in with $300 worth of Wendy's baconators and fries <laughs> and all this stuff. What? He's bought it for the entire crew. He's like, but the lineup was so long. They took forever to do this. So he's <laughs> rattling. I'm like, okay, but we got to go. So uh, we sit down and do the thing. And then we go back after and we eat our baconators, but Jeff will take care of everybody. And so I, that, I've i never forgotten this to that day when he came in with all these bags of food just because he wanted to make sure the crew got taken care of. That's what O'Dog was like. He seems like a kind of a guy who has not an attitude, but he kind of carries himself in a way. But he seems like somebody who has such a big heart of gold when it comes yes. to people that work on TSN. And I, yeah. I've talked to people who met him in Vancouver during the World Juniors. And he's like, yeah, like he's very tight for time, but yeah, he'll take pictures and no problem. They'll talk to you. It's all good. Yeah. I would have a beer with Jeff O'Neill any day. Yeah. Oh, I would love to do that. Just to hear O'Dog tell stories about him playing in the NHL. And we got yeah. a chance to talk with Jamie McLennan about him. And it just seems like everything we've ever heard about O'Dog just seems to 
be perfectly true. Like, yeah, he's got a big heart of gold. Yeah. He carries himself in a way. And you saw it through his career. Now, another guy who carries himself in a certain way, and as a fan of the Wally Mathosha, one of the great things I always look forward to has been your guys' interviews. And I mentioned Eric Carlson. Jeff O'Neill was one of them. One guy in particular I got to ask, for those who watched the Netflix series Untold, more specifically the episode on the Dansbury Trashers, Tommy T-Bone Pompicello. I've got to ask this because in preparation for this interview, I went back to watch that Untold episode and your guys' interview with him. And I just like, getting him to confirm those stories from the documentary is hilarious. Meth's reactions were just like, it's just like ours. It's just like, this is amazing. I can't believe we're doing this. Okay, I got to ask, what was that guy like on the show? And is there any great stories or anything he mentioned off air that didn't make the final cut? Uh, so he's by far one of the most interesting dynamic people we've had on where so i long i'll go back to the beginning um back during the lockout i started playing pickup hockey again and i was looking through logos of teams just to find something to wear for beer league hockey and i was like i want something different i found this logo i have had this jersey and got it since 05 so i've known about the danbury trashers and when I saw it come back, I'm like, oh, my God. Because I remember Roman Ender getting 20 games for attacking an official, all this stuff. So I reached out to T-Bone. I found him through Facebook. And I was like, hey, it's Brent Wallace. We have this show. He's like, he's like, absolutely. And I, he said, and I was like, we'd like to get you on for an interview. He's like, great. Can I do it at the strip club? Because T-Bone loves the Rippers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. So, so I'm like. This is per like this guy is going to be off the charts. I'm so excited. I think this is this is going to be great. So and I like I don't think I was for a week on cloud nine thing. I've got this guy coming in. We spoke for a few hours leading up to this interview just on the phone. Uh, I was like, can you do the interview in the cigar lounge like you had in the shot? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Well, he starts the interview and I do it. Okay, how did this play out? He's like, first, can you send me the link? on my phone because my parole officer can't read like something to do with how he's he can't call out he's like you gotta send it to me because i can't call it i'm like oh. and i don't know if he's lying to me or not like i don't know what i don't know and i don't want to know he's like some things you can ask me but i can't answer that or like if you ask me this this way i'm going to hurt you i'm like are you serious like i don't know because the next minute he'd be like oh man this is great this will be awesome we'll have a great time so I like I, I so he, anyway we start the interview he's in his car I'm like T-bone like you knew that we were doing this for a week how are you I gotta drive into the city so now he's driving holding his phone the service is terrible every once in a while it drops out he's gonna stop the car and for whatever he's like can you send me the link again I'm like like what are you doing that you don't have the link you just anyway sending him the link three times I sent him the link at one point we're in he's in a building that he said I thought was the cigar lounge in the documentary. It's not, it's the one he started. Uh, it's all under construction. And then the power goes out. He's like, we just lost power, like the entire, I'm like, so he's now back in his car. He's doing the interview again. Like it's a major, I think there's a rainstorm going on. It was an absolute gong show. But the best part is like, that's what podcasting is about sometimes where it's just, so the straight and narrow Brent Wallace is like, oh my, like, I don't know what we're gonna do. Like, this is horrendous. This is the worst. At the end of the day, it was a, it was fun. It was fantastic. I enjoyed it. We still talk. Math asked for like he's like, if I send you my address, can you send me a photo? He's like, absolutely. And 
all kinds of stuff. So yeah, we still talk to this day. Yeah, I, I, he's a good dude. Wait, wait, wait. If this guy can't do like calls out, how is he going to be able to send a photo? Listen, I don't ask questions. I learned <laughs> at the beginning, do not ask him anything. So I was like, like, do you know Tony Soprano? He's like, dude, you can't talk to me like that. I'm like, okay, never mind. I'm sorry. So yeah. That's amazing. Have you guys tried to get, say, AJ Gallant or any of the players that played for the Trashers in the show? Uh, I reached out to Mike Rupp. We were still trying to work out uh, time to set something up, but I didn't know if it was old or tired by then. Like I've watched that documentary three times, um, but I didn't know if people were tired of the whole shtick. And so I just, I stuck with T-Bone and then we moved on from that. But I, 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 yeah, I haven't decided what to do with AJ. Like T-Bone is the godfather to AJ's kids. Like they all still talk. So I might reach out. I haven't decided. Man, I honestly, I don't even know where to go from here. After I, this I did try to get, um, it's, it's not Whitfield. Was it Whitfield? Yeah, Brad Whitfield. Yeah. So, Whitfield. Uh, I tried. He's in BC somewhere. I couldn't reach out and find him, but AJ was everywhere at the time. And I think he'd just done spit and chicklets. And so I just didn't want to uh, piggyback off that. So I waited. Have you ever tried to get other notorious players like Link Gates mm -hmm. on the show? I've not tried Link Gates. So I've, I think so far. I think my list is at like 95 people I've reached out to, to try to get on from different, like Victor Hedman and I know each other really well, but him coming off and sends basically podcast doesn't do him any good, Yeah, but I'm still trying or, you know, like Yarmir Yager sit like there's a Sidney Crosby story that I'm dying to be told with math as we all know involves the finger, but <laughs> there's a, there's a story behind it that I want to get to, but so far, I'm not, uh, as we all know, Sid's very quiet. So I don't know if I'll be able to, I, I doubt it, but um, there's a few of those guys that I'm still trying. Wayne Gretzky's another guy. I, I'm just trying to see how far I can get. I know these people, like they all know who we basically are. Mm -hmm. It's just, they're trying to figure out if they want to come on our show or if it's, if I had a hundred thousand views an episode, they'd probably do it. Right. Would you have Ilya Brizgalov on the show and just let Absolutely. him ramble for like? I was in that minutes? locker room, so I I was there of the uh, the outdoor game. I asked him about which flavor tea he would want on the bench. To be honest with you, you know I I thought of him just the other day of reaching out to see, but my guess is he's not coming on. There's you know what? There's been a few players who have said some stuff social media wise. You're like I can't have you on for a while. I don't think. And so I wonder if I haven't checked anything Ilya Brisgalov has done. I'm wondering if he might be one of those. Especially, I, I don't know, maybe I should wait till the whole Ukraine Russia thing settles right. down. I'm not sure if he's the political guy or not. But like we've, like you get some feedback or blowback every once in a while if you have people that don't necessarily line up with all your views or whatever. Um, so it's always stuff that I guess tread into that water lightly. Well, right. given that you guys do a lot of live streams now, do you think that would be really tough trying to cut stuff of that out of the episodes at that point? We we don't edit anything out. Even our our uh, our tape shows, our interviews. I don't. I think we've edited maybe two or three, just time wise. But for the most part, it all stays. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Is it more because it's also a video podcast, not so much an audio? Uh, Craig's lazy and doesn't want to edit. No, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's just like that's that's the 
there's no reason to take anything out, I guess is the point. Like there's some times where I'm like, I would like to remove that question because I don't think I asked it very well or I'm rambling. That's the professional part of me where I need to just mm -hmm. kind of relax sometimes. So like Craig's like, no, we're not taking it out. I'm like, oh, okay. So yeah, for the most part, it's, it's rare that we edit anything. Even when we sit down to talk just sends, what you see is what you get. Yeah. Well, say off the top of my head, because I know with our show, like we take some stuff out that say it's a controversial or people could take in the wrong way. Yeah. If that kind yeah. of stuff is said of Wally, my thought, would you have to take that out? If I thought it would embarrass the player mm -hmm. or meth or myself. Yeah. It, we, we would take it out. Um, no question. Only mm -hmm. because. So when you do like, when I used to do interviews and sit down, like we'll go to Brady and Formanton and Max Lajoie, like, that was probably a 30 minute interview and you saw five minutes. I'm used to editing all that stuff down. Even at the beginning, I was like, Craig, we'll edit this. And he's like, no, why are we editing it? I'm like, we just leave that in. He's like, yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like we, there's nothing for us to take out. And I've told the players and they all know this, excuse me, as we've uh, gone out through the years, I'm like, I will never purposely embarrass you on anything I would do. So if, if, and if you say something on camera, like while I was in scrums, that is a little questionable, I'll go back to you after and say either, do you want to change it or whatever? So same thing here, excuse, is that I, I there's no point in us, there's no need for us to edit it. So Tim, do you have any questions you want to ask Wally before we head off into rapid fire? Oh. No, I think we've had a fantastic interview here. And oh, I'm been... glad we learned about more, learned more about Sluvitsa. <laughs> absolutely man it's been great and honestly i have to say on record this is probably one of my favorite interviews it's been so much fun so is it better than mendez Ooh, tougher than mendez oh, oh say, see you okay, know i'm gonna I, say I, yes because yes. it's funnier it's i'm gonna I say yes. yes it's yes because the first time we interviewed him the audio quality was garbage and the second time was actually because we had him on for our season preview show so yes i'm gonna say your interview was better than mendez Okay, just clip that part and send it to him. That's all I ask. Done. Done. <laughs> Both of us add the podcast account or just one of us? Yes. yes. Either way. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just want just you send. This has been a better interview than me, Ian Mendez. That's all I care about. Oh, God. You think he'll try like a revenge tour then? No, I have to beat Brett. Well, <laughs> well you know, it's like, so uh, back in October, uh, it was Men's Mental Health Month. We did a... Uh, evening out when there wasn't restrictions or too many i guess uh where we just had an open mic so the two of us uh had like 100 people show up at a bar and we just told stories and so the two of us went at each other a little bit so there's a little it's a friendly rivalry i think um and as i said to mendez all along like he made me a better broadcaster when he became uh, a sports net broadcaster uh and i'd like to think a little vice versa where we both challenged each other so there's a healthy rivalry sometimes between the two of us of always trying to one-up each other in some kind of stupid joke i gotta say tim we need to get both brent and mendez on the show this is going to be great at the same time <laughs> so wally this honestly has been a great interview and i gotta ask the question are you ready for rapid fire hit me Okay, so just for the listeners who don't know, Rapid Fire was a segment started on the Jane Dan podcast when they were at Fox Sports when they were doing their show. Unfortunately, since the show came back to Canada, and unfortunately, Jane Dan are no longer the show isn't around anymore. I've decided to take the segment and make it my own. 
So all by the way, start- Jay Onright used to cut my stories at TSN. Seriously? Yeah, he used to. Uh, he worked on the row, as we call it at the back, where you see those monitors and stuff, and he would take my story in and put it together. So, uh, Kara Waglin, same thing. Amazing. So, Brett, we got to start off rapid fire by asking, what is your favorite drinking establishment in Ottawa? Oh, it depends what I want to drink, but I, there's a, like Barley Most, it's Phil where I live, is probably where I get to the most. So, and they make great poutine, and I love poutine, so I tend to go there. What is one thing you'd recommend to see or do in Ottawa that isn't a tourist trap? Freedom Convoy? No, sorry, uh, too soon. Wow. Um, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. There's so, so the problem with Ottawa, and I'm ruining your, your rapid fire, the problem with Ottawa, there's so much to do. There's so many museums, all that stuff that it's tough to not to have some of that stuff. I like that. That's a good question. There's zip lining you can do in Wakefield that goes over a quarry that might be something different. If you had to do a 100 meter foot race versus either Mark Mathot or Craig Medaglia, who would you go against? Oh, I'm taking Craig. I, I think Math might push me at the start and cheat. And if he gets close, he might tackle me. And he's a large man. So I'm taking Craig. I think we're in the same kind of weight class. So I don't want to start any shit here. But when we interviewed Craig Medaglia <laughs> last year and we asked him this question, he was cocky and said he could take either one of you in a 100 meter foot race. See, I, you might be right. He's very deceptive. And I sent him a text today. He's like, I'm just finishing my workout. So um, maybe, maybe he could. He's younger. I, is he younger than Meth? No, I think, I think he might be a little older than Meth. Is he might be deceptively quick. But I still think I, I have, if there's any chance, it's against him and not Meth. Who is one former or current sense player that you would like to see or could see go into the media post-career? Bobby Ryan's the obvious answer. He's been fantastic. I'm trying to put him in the show more and more, and he's so good. So it's probably Bobby Ryan. Do you think we'll see Brady Tuchuk go into the media post-career? Good question. He'll make so much money that I don't know if he'll want to, but he certainly could. He'll be very articulate. Even Josh Norris, um, I think, would be a, another guy that, that might be pretty good at doing that. They're very smart. Thomas Shabbat, I could see uh, as another one. Like Shabbat may be the, the smartest guy and the most articulate of them all. He's very well thought out. He seems like very, very worldly type. Uh, mm. I, I really like Thomas Shabbat. Bath would be funny. He would be great. So hopefully he just does the maritime tour because no one else will be able to understand him. <laughs> just think of it this way. Shabbat can do RDS. You got yeah. Batherson doing the Maritimes. Zub could do Russia. We're all good to go. So I sent his agent, Zub's agent uh, request. I was like, I would like to get Artem Zub on. Is there any way we can make this happen? I'll even have Igor Sokolov come on as a translator. All I got was Zub doesn't do interviews. I was like, is Zub typing this out himself? <laughs> so yeah, there's uh, another, I've been trying, but there will be no Artem Zub interview. If you were in charge of the Ottawa Senators reverse retro jersey for next season, would you bring back the Senegoth or go with the O? I've always liked the O, but part of me just wants to toy with everybody and just bring back the word sends. See? That is horrendous, but the worse it gets, the more people really like it. It's like the Islander fishermen's coming back. So I say bring back the sense. Side question or uh, side answer here is I know when Tim came back to Vancouver Island, 
And he and I were driving back to his mom's place and we see a guy walking down the street in a SNES jersey. And we're like, oh my God, there's a guy in a SNES jersey. It's still uh, one it of my b- biggest regrets not buying the SNES jersey. Uh, you'll probably find one somewhere. A value village may have one occasionally. Yeah. Do you think that jersey would be better looked at today if it had a proper logo instead of just SNES? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not a big of the uh the black logo now or the black jerseys now really be honest yeah i don't they're just so dark it just wipes out the player as you're watching on tv that's what i don't like about it so they just crush the blacks so much if you're standing next to a guy wearing one it's fine tv wise i just don't like the look is it true you have never been seen with a hair out of place close like, so when you go to the world championships, you're gone for 30 days. Sometimes I think I had the longest day was 33 days. Well, I'm a three week haircut kind of guy. So that last week is like, I'm on, I'm on, I'm nervous. So when I get my haircut before we used to do long trips, they would cut it extra short. But once you get to the end where it starts to be just flapping around and stuff, it becomes a little nerving. Uh, one time and only one time have I ever worn a toque on television or a hat of any sort. So that was at our Red Blacks football game. Have you ever been mistaken for former Montreal Canadiens head coach, Dominic Ducharme? So I, the day after they won the gold medal, I'm at a Sens game. I'm in the booth and someone comes up to me is a very nice lady. She's like, congratulations. You did it. I'm so proud of you. And at first, I don't know what she's talking about. Finally, it clues into me. She's like, you got the gold. We're so, and I'm like, she thinks I'm Dominic Ducharme. So I got that a couple of times. I also got Wade Redden earlier on in my career. Right at the beginning, I was like, Reds, people think when I go to a bar that I'm you. And he's like, just don't embarrass me. I'm like, okay. Amazing. So every once in a while, I'll be like, yeah, no, I'm Reds. Can't you tell? Yeah. So final question <laughs> to close out rapid fire. And this is a question that we've asked so many people. We've never really gotten a straight answer on. There's a burger place in Ottawa. There's a couple of locations, one of which is on Bank Street, called Burgers and Fries Forever. And we've got to ask the question, Brent, do you feel Burgers and Fries is overrated or do you feel it's the best burger in Ottawa? Full disclosure, I've never heard of it. Really? Never heard of it. I'm sorry. Uh, It was my favorite place in Ottawa when I used to work there. Does it still exist? Yes, they have a location on Bank Street and the market still. See, okay, I'm a Stittsville guy. Like, if I got to right. go downtown, I need to gas up the car. Okay, I got to pack a lunch, and I got to make sure the GPS works. Rarely do I go downtown. Right. It's so far. Like, if I go past Canada, I'm like, where am I? <laughs> Yo, have you ever been on Stittsville on patrol? Yes, actually. Uh, funny story you say that, because it was supposed to have been an episode with meth and myself and our two wives and meth couldn't make it that night, whatever night. So it was my wife and myself and Oh my God. Now I won't remember her name. Kathleen Edwards, uh, music award winning Kathleen Edwards. And, um, I think some dude, I don't know who he was. So that's how it all. So we were swingers is how that episode played out. I have actually have not watched the episode. I don't know. I don't feel my acting skills are up to par, so I don't know if I want to see myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that is. So Brett, we can't thank you enough to take time out of your schedule today to do our interview and put up with us. 
Now, we've got to ask, where can our listeners find the Wally Mathot Show? And where can they find you on social media? Sometimes. So when I changed my Twitter handle, I couldn't remember it for a long time. <laughs> um, it's because there's an underscore in my Instagram account because somehow somebody already has Free Agent Wally as an Instagram account. Anyway, um, Free Agent Wally on Twitter. And then, of course, you can find us uh, at, uh, on YouTube, basically at the Wally Mathot Show, because we prefer the TV part because I still have makeup left over. So I'm trying to uh, use that up. Now, usually with our interviews, we usually like to get our guests to sit, to yell or say hot Sambacho in honor of Thomas Shabbat. When you <laughs> agreed to come on the show, Wally, yeah. I got one request and I do not request this ever for anybody. Your tenure at TSN, you were you were known for your iconic send-off of Brent Wallace, TSN, Ottawa. One final time, can you close out this episode by doing your iconic send-off? I can't because I'm still mad at them. But my kids used to think that was my name for a long time. I had to because I was always on the road and they I had to buy a PVR. Was, again, I'm old, but we had to pause the TV because if one got to kiss the TV and the other one didn't, then there would be like hell to pay for my wife. So uh, we have pictures of my kids kissing the TV because that's how they basically remember me growing up. So, no, I can't do your okay. I can only <laughs> Brent Wallace, Ottawa. I can't. I, yeah, I can't do it. All right. All right. Well, since you can't do it, can you give us a hot sambacho? Hot sambacho. No. Is that right? Bacho? Bacho. Yeah. See, I've, I'm like, I could never do this stuff when you had a regular job. So hot sambacho. Thank Were you at so the arena when they played the hot sambacho song? Brian five or six made this absurd song about Thomas Shabbat, yeah. hot sambacho, yeah. right? And yeah. Alex... Alex Marshad played it in the arena. Were you there yeah. that night? I well, I I missed I think three games in my entire career uh, at home. So, yeah, I was there. Okay, yeah. because I've heard the fan reaction was mixed. Well, how many fans do you think? Yeah, like so, but but Ottawa fans are pretty stoic for the most part. But then you have like this young base that's all wired in social media wise. So they're all excited about it, but the old stoic people that are all transplants from outside the city who aren't all in on Ottawa are just going to watch a game. They kind of just sit on their hands. Right. So uh, I can see why it's mixed for sure. Mm. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the special edition of the third line plugs Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Cause believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the national podcast network. You find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You find our links to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google play. We're also on Twitter at third line plugs, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91 honey badger. I'm at great white gipster, G R H W Y T E gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about our exclusive interview with Wally Mathot show co-host Brett Wallace, choose an email third line at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensey. Go Sands, guys. Woo!